Welcome back to episode 32 of the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Today we'll be discussing Nigeria and the SARS situation. Enjoy. First of all, I think it'd be good to cover what is SARS um, what do, for everyone who doesn't know. Okay, it's, okay I'll take that. Um, SARS is a body of the police unit that is targeted at anti-robbery, so it's state anti-robbery squad, basically. And so it's been around since 1980s, I believe. But in recent times, well, as far as long as I can remember, it's just been a case of police brutality where, so it's anti-robbery squad, right? They come out at night, they don't wear uniforms and they stop people. If you're young and you look like you shouldn't make money because Nigeria is so hard, but you have money and you look like you make money or you have an iPhone, just based on that, they can profile you a criminal. In different cases, they tell you to go to the ATM bank and force you to withdraw money. They tell you to transfer money to them on the spot. They can tell some some cases they beat you up. They just last like beat you up there. They can take you to the police station. Some people that make it to the police station don't come out alive. So they are just it's just so one thing I'd like to highlight is that SARS is a body of the police scene, but it's not just them that do these things. But what happened was there was a video of them attacking someone and killing someone on the road that really spiked the whole protest of NSARS. But it's not just SARS, basically. We're, we're fighting against police brutality generally. So this, would you say that a singular event might have sparked the current set of protests, but in reality, this is a, a long-term issue because you mentioned that it was potentially started in the 80s, the SARS unit. Yeah, the unit started in the 80s. And yes, it was because of the video circulating, similar to the Judge Floyd situation. It was because of that video circulating. However, it's been a thing of, I can't tell you, especially guys, I can't tell you of any of my friends that hasn't had a run-in with them where they have to drop money or do some sort of exchange so that they can just let them go. So it sounds as though the anti-robbery squad that's been set up kind of almost robs people and does the exact opposite of what they should be doing is what I'm understanding. Pretty much. And the funny, well, not funny, but then the irony of it is during the COVID pandemic, there were a group of armed robbers going through like certain parts of the lockdown so people could not go around. And these police officers, they're supposed to be anti-robbery squad, really were to be found during that whole period. So it just shows that they are very incompetent in their jobs. And rather than preventing robbery, they are the ones com- committing the crime. Right. Okay. Well, maybe I can drop a small fact that we've done some research on. So there, there's some rights groups like uh, Amnesty International that actually have documented a series of uh, deaths of people that it has investigated. And uh, the, the Amnesty International group says that it's worsened. Uh, so this isn't just some hearsay, just for the listeners. It's, it's definitely a thing that has happened. Um, they've documented at least 82 alleged cases of torture, ill treatment, and uh, extrajudicial ex- execution by SARS between January 2017 and May 2020. So this is within this <laughs> period of time. You can imagine... I guess prior to that, uh, what has happened and what has not been documented. Um, exactly. So m- maybe one of my uh, my understanding is that SARS was created initially to tackle uh, a prob- a growing problem of uh, theft in Nigeria. Do you think yeah. the inception of SARS was uh, correct, as as in at the start? Do you think it was a good idea, an approach? Yes. So. Yes, completely, because at the time, of, that was before I was born, but at the time, there was a lot of armed robbery going around. So, yes, I can understand why they would create a task force targeted at that. So it made sense at the beginning, but it's just a system that doesn't work anymore. Is They are not functioning, and there are no checks and balance. Like, there are just no checks. They are not held accountable for any reason. Um, yeah, so... They said, Amnesty said 80 people were documented. I know there's a state in Nigeria, which, which was shocking for me. This was heartbreaking. So one of the victims, apparently the, in the states, there's like a river of bodies. So when his dad was looking for him, they had to make him flip all the bodies upside down to identify his son's body. So yes, it's been 
it's just something that needs to end. And when we requested that they ended it, they disbanded. By the way, this is not the first time they're disbanding it. So they disbanded mm. three times, I think 2015, 2017, again last year and this year. But then this time they said, okay, no, they dissolved it. And then they are creating a new unit called SWAT, Special Weapons Anti, some, something tactical. I can't remember what it's for, but like in the same breath of, okay, we're stopping this body, but we're starting this whole body. In my mind, I'm like, where are the people coming into this new body coming from? Mm-hmm. You're just changing the name, using the mm-hmm. same people and the same tactic. And even as soon as that happened, we said, no, we don't want that. As of last week, they were training them. So mm-hmm. they are not taking us seriously at all. Maybe, maybe on your side, Donala, um, as a British-born Nigerian person, like what has been your experience as in like what when did you find out and how did it come to light um well i'm actually not british born i i moved here when i was 11 but i've been living here in the uk since i was um 11 and i think you know even before moving from nigeria the the sort of relationship with you know between the police and the populace has never really been one um one of uh, one one that I would say is comfortable um, when you know something bad happens you know even growing up as a child I can't imagine like oh the first thing you would do is let's call the police because half the time the police are probably likely to sort of make things worse you know there's so much bribery and corruption um, and it's just kind of like I think the corruption really is more or less part of the culture at this point it's kind of flown you know, from the very highest levels of government. So it's really a broken system in, in that essence. So, you know, traveling back to Nigeria um, every now and then, as, as my dad still sort of lives there, over the, the years I have seen there's even more of a de- deterioration because at least growing up, things like, you know, traveling by, by road across the country, um, though it wasn't, you know, 100% safe, but it was at least safer than now. Like now, I can't even imagine going on a road trip from like, I don't know, just to Lagos, because you will just, you're just likely to be stopped on the road by, you know, SARS or some other police branch. And, you know, and just the abuse of power, you know, just people with guns calling themselves police, even some will have the army uniform. And there's so many angles to look at this from. There've been details showing how much police are being paid like some of them are being paid as little as maybe in dollars like maybe two hundred dollars a year or something like that tiny amount of money you're not really giving them enough to survive and you're giving them a massive ak-47 and saying go keep people safe not saying they should still but you know you can see the problem from that perspective as um as well so there's just um and that's why I, i i would say the nsars movement really became you know bigger than that it was more like end bad governance in general because it's just um, a sort of a symptom of a broken system when you look um, sort of from that perspective. So you'd say it trickled down from a kind of, uh, let's say, a hierarchy of where the top government became corrupt and so it sort of got infected as it went down, uh, the corruption. No, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if anyone's um, seen on Netflix, there's a series, I think it's called History of a Nation and it's like the history of Nigeria. And, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, it's just all starts from, you know, independence. It's from before that, you know, everything kind of roots back to the history, you know, colonial times um, and sort of that transition from colonialism into like the military regime. And then, you, you know, the federal republic that we have now, there's just been a lot of unethical and um, horrible things that have happened in history that have led to the world that we have now. Haven't said that you know, despite whatever's happened in history, I do think we're at a pivotal point where especially young people have have the power now, hopefully to try to push for change, which is why I think it's important we're still talking about this now, because I was talking to someone earlier today and they were like, oh, you know, like the NSARS thing as those ended. And I'm like, it's so it would be so sad if after the people who have just recently died, who have put themselves on the line, who have tried and pushed, and now people are kind of not, maybe not tired, but you know, now people are like okay let's move on to the next thing it's like no you have to ride on this and make sure some real change comes out of this you know the government can't weasel out of this one like they always do and the gaslighting you know coming out saying nobody died coming out saying there's no trust you know there's just there's just a series of abuse and lies and i think when it comes to a point where the average nigerian probably you know is used to a level of corruption and pain 
someone who is not growing up in Nigeria. And I think that's the problem because it gets to a point where we've normalized some, some of this behavior and it needs to be rooted out. Yeah, I totally agree. Like uh, for me, and, and I don't think this is necessarily a, a unique situation to Nigeria. So for me, I'm, I'm of like North African heritage uh, from a country called Algeria. And I know that even recently, there has been a similar kind of shift uh, with people protesting against the government for something actually quite similar to stop corruption in general. And it, it caused the president to step down recently. And um, maybe just from like observation, do you think that this is, well, we can say, okay, from colonial era, this has trickled down, but do you think there's been a, an awakening in this, let's say, colonial African countries where they're starting to rise up, the youth is starting to rise up and uh, let's say stamp themselves in society to say that enough is enough and this can't go on any further. Mm, I do think so, but I think this has been happening for decades. I think most of us, if you speak to our parents, they remember protests happening then, strikes. So it's like, there's always in almost every, I think in probably every African country um, and of course beyond Africa, um, there's this tension you know, between the governed and the government government and um it's to a point where okay so even today i was speaking to a friend from um, angola and they're having protests even up until today where a protester was killed and i think the president came out and said it didn't happen just exactly what more or less what happened a few weeks ago in nigeria i was speaking to a friend in cameroon who i work with at the commonwealth um, youth peace ambassadors network and he was telling me you know how you know they went into a school and killed school children just a few weeks ago so it's like we're seeing this pattern all across africa and it's not just you know recently this has been happening, you know, for sort of decades and every sort of generation, I feel like they, they say the time is now, Africa is the future, it's our time, let's change things, the young people. And it's like, when are we going to go beyond that point to actually say, actually, minority of the people are ruling, the majority of us are being ruled. So when are we going to actually, and how will be the most effective way without, you know, losing more lives, can we actually push the dial to make sure that when we have our children, we're not telling the tales of, I remember when I went to protest for NSARS. Oh, so what are you guys gonna do? No, we have to try to actually um, push things further. The fact that the president of Nigeria right now, Buhari was president when he was young, how many years ago? He's someone from the military era. Before that, we had a couple of years ago, Obasanjo, who another person from the military era. We have these recycled people from the military regime who come and promise change. And they just somehow, and when it's not them, it's their kids something needs to change and i've and i've been from the i've had the school of thought for years that as much as we want to you know every four years they kind of repackage someone and you know bring them out and it's really someone from that same school of thought i don't think you know we just you know and now people are saying you know next election let's have a youth let's have a young person go and leave. it's not about that i think it's if you have a system that's fundamentally flawed sometimes you need to dismantle that system and build from the beginning. And, and that might sound a bit radical, but I think when it comes to a place like Nigeria where um, the corruption is so deeply rooted and the scars are so deep, um, rather than trying to patch it up with another bandage, you kind of need to start again. I completely agree with that. And um, just, just to give some more context, because you know uh, people like myself or some of our listeners might not know who is in charge in, in Nigeria. So uh, you mentioned President Buhari. Uh, how long has he been in power? Is this somebody who's been in power for you know decades, or is it is it genuinely every four years you get a new candidate? Um, what are elections like in Nigeria, for example? Do you think they're fair? And if you can just walk us through the process of who's in power and how they've been in power, how long they've been in power, I think that might really help give a good idea okay. of what's going on currently in Nigeria. All right, so. Buhari, President Buhari, Muhammadu Buhari is the president as of now. Um, this is the second term, so he was voted in last year, which is actually annoying because we have three years more of him, but it is good. Um, we will survive. He, so this is the second term, like I said, but previously he was a military head back in the, I'm not sure if he's 70s or 80s. So there's this post, I don't know if you know Fela Kuti, he was a Nigerian musician, he was an activist, he was yeah. a protester. So his mom protested around the same time Buhari was president, he protested, she was killed, he protested, he died, no, he wasn't killed. And then his children are protesting with us now. So it just shows how long in this whole period Buhari was the first time he was in power and now he's in power and three generations of a family have been protesting the government. 
So even though he has not been in power throughout the whole period, it just shows how we are recycling the same people. Like Dunola said, before him, two, two cycles before him, there was Obasanjo, who was also a military head before the Second Republic. So we're using the same people. Everyone that comes out has been in some sort of power before I was born at some point in time. So that's just how the cycle is. But we have election every four years. So the next last election was last year, 2019. So the next one will be in three years time, 2023. And yes, that's the story of the government. So I guess uh, my next question would be, um, obviously, Danola kind of spoke about uh, dismantling the current system because clearly it's flawed and, you know, there is a, a culture almost of uh, corruption and asking for, you know, money to just deal with situations which otherwise should just be dealt by the police in a, in a regular fashion. Um, my understanding then is that the NSARS protest kind of then has to go hand in hand with a kind of resign Bihari protest as well. Um, but like, what would be the next step from there? So clearly I, I'm assuming you both want Bihari to resign. But what would be the next step, do you think, concrete step in resolving this situation? To be honest, I can't really say what the next step would be. I'm not sure. So even if the fact is, so I understand Buhari needs to go, yes. However, if Buhari goes now, who is coming next? Because all of, like Donola said, all of them are flawed. And the politics in Nigeria has to do with money. And we have two main powers and they all have a lot of money and that is what they use. So even during the election, there are two, like I said, two main parties. A lot of the time elections are being rigged because obviously money, they bribe people to do this, they bribe hoodlums to scatter certain election polls. So it's just the whole system. I don't know what the next step would be, but clearly to be honest with you, I don't know if you know what's happening now, but this government does not, they don't want to let go. Um, Post, so you know about the Lekki massacre where they shot at peaceful protesters. Post that, they've, um, they're trying to regulate social media because they're claiming everything is fake news. They are mm-hmm. arresting people in their houses. They've killed somebody. That they just, they've killed someone. They are suing the celebrities that were actively protesting. And so they've broke and banned the, uh, blocked the bank accounts of some of the protesters that were financially involved and like involved in the circulation of the money that we raised for the protest, saying that they were terrorists. And so they are clearly trying to change the narrative of everything and they don't want to go. So now the question is, I think the question everyone's mind, do we wait for the next election or do we act now? But clearly we already know that these people, because the massacre was unlawful, everything they are doing now is unlawful. So they are no longer moving within the boundaries of the constitution. And that is a scary thing because when you have someone who is determined to do whatever and waste whoever stands in his way, if you want to remove that person, it will definitely lead to a war, which God, God knows I do not want. Because yeah. I, in this life, I do not want a situation where I have to run away from my country. Yeah, I think many people who call for, you know, wars and say we need to remove this person from power don't actually realize the implications of such a thing taking place. It's easy to call for, I guess, you know, somebody's yeah. head and say, let's go for it. But it, it, it does have ramifications. So I guess uh, you highlighted quite well there. If you don't want this to become a full-blown war, you're against someone who clearly refuses to step down from power through legal means. Uh, what can be the next step going forward? And I'm just going to throw this out there because I I saw this suggestion quite a bit, which was that uh, I guess it's called diaspora when somebody leaves their country and goes to Europe or wherever. I guess they refer to them as the diaspora. I'm not entirely sure what that word means, but uh, it was basically that (laughs) it was basically that, you know, people who have gone abroad and amass certain amount of wealth and experience and knowledge try to funnel that money back into Nigeria and maybe even come back in and run for elections, as Dinola said. But again, would that help? Let me just say this in terms of diaspora. Um, Nigeria has, I think, one of the highest per capita um, inflow of money from diaspora. So I'm sure, like, I've been fortunate to work and to travel to, I think, over in about 30 different countries so far. And I've met Nigerians everywhere in every country. So, like, Nigerians are very well traveled and, you know, a lot of money goes back. So, but I think something that, that we need to kind of and also a lot of people, and that's why I'm saying the system needs to change. A lot of people, so over the years, many of these politicians in the House of Reps who are taking, by the way, 
in a country that has one of the, the highest per capita of poverty, the politicians are one of the, be the world, most well-paid world. So they receive things like cars, millions of naira, and even after they leave their post, they keep getting all this money in a country where you can clearly see the poverty as well. So that's the kind of country, and that's the legal means of money that they've, they've been paid. Of course, we know they you know, do their own thing as well. So I'm saying this to kind of give a context of the kind of system that we have. So over the years, we have seen, including, and I mean, from you know, even before independence, many people who travel across the world, go to Harvard, go to Oxford, they go to all these places, and they come back to Nigeria and say, we're, we're going to be the change. You know, we've seen what is good in, in the world. And before, you know, after one year, two years, you just see them behaving the same way. Because that's just like, you, you, I don't think one person, except maybe one in a million person, like Nelson Mandela needs to come or something. Because literally people who I really believe have one of the best intentions, like our vice president, Yemio Subanjo, at the big beginning, people were saying he's so good. You know, I think he used to, to be a pastor. And right now he has to go hide his face in shame because he's now been sucked into a system and clearly maybe he can't change it but his behavior is showing that he's well and truly part of that system same thing with the lagos governor when he first came people were seeing him as a big reformer because he's relatively young you know so that's why it's like people are saying the diaspora diaspora people will come from everywhere even i myself you know i work for the un now some people are like oh and i and i run a charity here in luton and people say, like, like my thing all the time, like, you should go to Nigeria and you should try to do these things there. I'm pretty sure, you know, I've tried to run a conference before in Nigeria and I know what I saw. I know what I went through. So the system is just so different that it's like something has to change. You can't just say if like people should just come back and change things. When, when something fund is fundamentally flawed, it takes more than just one person or just a few pe people. You, you need a revolution. I know the word revolution keeps coming back because we've had, I know last uh, election, we had a young, and by young, I think he's in his 40s, a young candidate who came with a new party and he was really about change and everything. And his tag was re revolution now. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, that's so intense. But mm. I understand what he was saying because, and he was, I think he used to live in America, sure. And again, by the way, he was held arrested and he went through a lot so that's somebody yeah. that tried to be the change so that's what we're talking about here something else i want to highlight about nigeria is nsars and corruption da, da, da. okay there's also something really important that people need to understand which is we have over 250 um, ethnicities living in a space yes so people from from britain came around and said okay drew this place this is called nigeria you're now one country and then and they forced it they forced this country to to, to be as we've seen all across mm -hmm. africa you know they divided it up they said you speak french you speak this you speak um, portuguese we all know the story but now what we have is ethnic tensions and it's at an all-time high at the same time as all of this going on right so you have mm -hmm. a north that is, you know, I was I think just it's about to ask you this. Muslim, yeah, and yeah. in the South, that is predominantly Christian and loads of ethnic, you know, tension here. And there's so many things happening to just simplify things. Even within, even with this NSARS, as many of the youth in the South were saying NSARS, some youth in the North were coming out and, and, and saying, let's keep SARS because for some of those states, apparently SARS has been helping them fight Boko Haram and so on. So you can see that there's no mm -hmm. idea, like, the experiences of young people across the country, just people in general, is idiosyncratic. You can't now say Nigeria is just like, it's so difficult to make a statement about Nigeria because people's experiences are so vastly different that it's it's like, and that's why we, we see so many ethnic groups calling for, to break out, you know, like we saw during the, um, the Biafran war. And now we're like, we see so many tribes trying to break free and make their own country here and there. So that's another, yet another layer of complexity that, needs to be considered and then we can't even start talking about infrastructure like i mean we're going to be here forever like we're yeah. like i would say africa has just been so blessed that we didn't get that too hit by covid19 because that's the kind of thing that would just you know crush completely crush um a system that is already hanging on by a thread so when you then think of nsars and and bad governance on the bedrock of many of these social political issues you can see that it's just it's more like it's like a ticking time bomb um, I can speak for the Nigerian diaspora. I studied in the UK. I came back. I'm like, okay, yes, yes, yes. And in as much, it is a constant battle not to conform to the way of Nigeria. And sometimes it feels like I obviously there are certain things that are just common sense, right? And I tend to have it. But because if you're the only one with common sense in the room full of people that act contrary to what you do, you feel like you're. They make you feel like you're a fool. So it's a constant mm. battle 
to, against the system. So I'm not making, I'm ensuring that I'm not part of the system. And in addition to the, yes, the um, ethnical diversity in Nigeria, which is beautiful in most, most of the cases, to show you how much, how determined we were to fight against the system during this NSAS period, all of us came together. We didn't care about where you were from. We didn't care about your religion. There were Fridays where the Muslims would pray and the Christians stood like behind them to protect them in case anybody was coming to attack. That whole, this, the two weeks of the protest was, I think that was my proudest moment as a Nigerian because all the little problems like, oh, you're Muslim and Christian, you're Igbo, I'm Yoruba, you're this, I'm that, you're a woman. I'm, like that whole period, everyone was there as a Nigerian, regardless of where or what we identify as under that. And it just showed how much unity. And I think in the process, people started trying to divide us by bringing up the religion and the cultural stuff. So even after the shooting, in Lagos is supposed to be a Yoruba state. And there was video saying that, oh, these, we need to kick these people out. We need to kick these people out. The day after we, they shot our brothers and sisters to show you that we wanted this so badly that we came together. And then I don't know how, where these people came from suddenly, some people are saying government is trying to get people to scatter it and some of them their evidence is that some hoodlums were paid to scatter all these things but regardless we really want this to change to the point where at some point we did not care about our differences we just wanted to we just wanted to survive so uh let me just let me just pose this sort of hypothetical to you uh, let's say, you know, you don't have a Sankara or a Nelson Mandela or someone like that, who, you know, one in a million person. And so we're not thinking about a savior coming to save you. And let's say everyone got together and they overthrew the current political system through legal or, you know, illegal means, whatever. What sort of system would you like to see implemented in Nigeria that you think would actually work well with the culture of Nigeria? So like, for example, would you go for a kind of um, Norwegian model or would you go for something more, you know, American style? Uh, you know, what would work in Nigeria going forward? What's the sort of model of governance would you want? Let's say if you could, uh, you know, change the system and rebuild it tomorrow, what do you think would work? Let me just first of all say, it's not like, oh, there's no Nelson Mandela to come and save us. There's, I think from what we've seen from the NSARS, because, you know, there was no leader, because everyone was a leader. Both we and the diaspora, I was here, you know, making, doing protests here in Luton, organizing that, plus those who were in Finland doing protests, plus those who were at the Lekki Target, plus those who were in Kano State protesting. So everyone was a leader and that was the beauty. And that's the, the thing. We have millions of Nelson Mandela's. That's the problem. There's millions of Martin Luther King. There's millions of revolutionaries. And that place just kills your dream as sad as it is in the way it is now. But thank God, hopefully it will change. But that's the problem. We have an environment that is stifling to talent. I have cousins who graduated from medical science. I have a cousin, medical science years and years ago, to find a single job in Nigeria. He has not. He's got a master's. Any other country, you know, and that's why you see people just desperate just to leave the country. They want to go anywhere else but to be there because it's a place that would literally kill your dreams. And that's the thing. When I think the president came out one time and, and said, youths are lazy in Nigeria. It's like, no, they're so hardworking. They're so much, like they have there's so much talent. As you can see from, I think anywhere you go in the world in the Nigerian people, you see how hardworking and talented we are. But when you're in a country that, and that's the most beautiful thing. It's like even within the toughest of economic conditions, political, everything, people are still thriving. And, and I think from the last um, index, it was still one of the happiest countries in the world. Can you see like literally the definition of a rose growing from concrete? But I think your question was around global governance, uh, no, um, national governance structure. So I think the fact that this, you know, federal republic was kind of thrown together and, you know, trying to copy here from America, trying to copy here from UK and all this. And again, that structure is what we see in many countries that have a colonial past. This might be very idealistic and it probably never will happen. But in a place where everything you have is kind of borrowed and it's not really organic, I, I would say it would be great to actually start from scratch, actually have people, you know, and again, super idealistic, probably will never happen. But I would love in a dream world that we actually think, OK, we are a unique space of land. First of all, I actually would like to change the name of Nigeria because it was given by colonial masters, just gave that name. From, mm -hmm. from a place of racism. Let's start there. What, what do we want our country to be called? What do we want our flag to look like? What do we think is important? How can 250 something 
biggest black population on earth how can we live live peacefully let's actually be intentional and make our land the way we want it to be and i think until this happens and I, and it could be a slow process but i think that should be the eventual goal because if you bring new people to a system that we can see as proved time and time again it's flawed from the ju judicial system from this everything is flawed. it's like who told us this works who told us this is good you know i spent i was living in china up until um um february and you know before i went to live there there were so many things that i've heard you know about china and how you know this this is this and of course every country has its flaws and everything but when i actually got to speak to chinese people to actually hear you know there's so many things that the west might not understand but there's some parts of their government that i was like wow like people would think this is not democratic or something but somehow it's working for them and to be fair i might not agree because that's not where i grew up but if they are saying this is my country and this is how our generations have done it and this is how we are doing our thing who are we to say otherwise and i feel like that like um autonomy is just not really present in a lot of countries that have colonial past and um and you know i think that actually comes from a place of confidence the mindset needs to change like okay thanks to all these countries but you guys just go back and the only one of the countries i've seen doing that really well recently is actually ghana and i think we can take a leaf out of their book and about them trying to break free from you know foreign aid and trying to break free from those things so that they can actually think what do we actually like what's actually mm -hmm. our country and that would be my my opinion i totally agree i echo the thought that you know, I think a lot of these issues, again, uh, comes down to a colonial past, especially in, in Africa. And uh, what has been kind of thrusted upon these countries is a European style of, of governance and basically what they want to leave behind so it's easier to control, uh, which necessarily wasn't necessarily a cultural thing in Africa. I can speak at least for North Africa. I mean, we, we had empires and we had, for example, Spain was part of North Africa for a long time and the way of ruling was totally different. Uh, until post-colonialism came and they enforced a, you know, a French style of governance for a specific reason to keep the ties to, to ensure that we're kind of dependent on, on that that knowledge. Um, so I, I agree where, where these our nations have to be stronger and have to decide for themselves what what is the best way of governance and not to shy away from uh, like you said is it basically revolutionary ideas like how do we do things differently that we as a people are happy with. It's, it's gonna to be tough though. I, I think one of the main worries is that usually with revolution talk, before revolution, there's a lot of, um, let's say, uh, just to be frank, we can see it in the Middle East with bloodshed, uh, et cetera, which is something we're all trying to avoid and something we don't want. How can we practically try to achieve this um, in a safe way? Uh, do, do you think, uh, that protest is enough. Um, maybe I can give another fact about Nigeria, but uh, we know that Nigeria is obviously, the, uh, the rising inflation is really suffering, uh, the people are suffering from it. And yeah, it, it's plunging the country towards a, a second recession. Uh, a lot of economists think it's going to happen. Um, and another fact is that more than a third, 35% of Nigerians are currently unemployed, as you mentioned before. Um, how do we change this? How do we give people the power? How, how, how do we do this? You know, it's really sad because Nigeria, in terms of natural resources, is probably one of you know the richest countries in the world. And um, you know, the gap between the rich and the poor is 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 shocking. You know, if even if like you know the greedy people at the top could just even give just even half of the amount of money that's due to the people, would not be seeing what we're seeing now. And that's really the sad thing. So it's like. At this point, some people say, oh, we should just let like the Buharis and the, you know, political godfathers just die out. And then, but it's like, they have their sons, I'm sure they're waiting to jump there and, you know, carry on because that's what they've been enjoying. The Swiss bank accounts here and there, you know, where they're just funneling the sweat of people. Like, I don't know if you saw another scandal that was happening during, you know, NSARS was some of the COVID pall um, palliatives, like the rice, um, noodles, things that were meant to be given to the people that were dated from March that they were meant to give as relief funds people only found them like two weeks ago in warehouses that the government refused to even give out to hungry people why apparently some of them were trying to save them for next election so that they can go around and hand them out and say this is you know this is our election you know give so you can vote for us again or something along those lines that's the kind of country that we're talking about so really the way forward and 
as somebody who works in international development, I like to believe, you know, dialogue is the way, you know, no innocent life should be ever be shared. You know, if no life should be lost, you know, no, no, I don't want, I don't like war. I'm a peace, um, I'm a Commonwealth Youth Peace Ambassador. I don't want war in any way. With that being said, I do think it gets to a point where if you're trying to have dialogue with someone and they're not actually allowing it to happen, the international community, and I'm not saying, oh, the UN or this or UK should come again. No, even like the AU, what are they doing? The African Union, like what, like what are you guys even doing? But then, of course, when we've seen a similar pattern in different countries, it's like it's almost like, like a band of like just bad behavior just carrying on you know and just reinforcing each, each other's bad behavior then when this one has to like leave his country because he's done something bad then you can go hide in Togo and you can you know it's it's almost like just it's terrible in terms of like abuse of power and honestly the way forward for me as well is just economic route whereby um money starts going to the people world bank or uh, you know germany and countries and china that loves to invest you know in these countries or let me say invest um how about you stop giving the money directly to the government start to look for credible youth organizations women's groups things like that start funding um grassroots project and give the power to the people when you give three billion dollars as a relief fund to a Buhari government that you can see from the news is corrupt and it's probably going to use it to go and send his you know kids on a spree in Paris then that's you know you, you're almost complicit in that behavior if you know you, that you want to give foreign aid take the extra step to actually do your investigation so that we just what we need is to get money funding economic means to the people and if you can see that the government is not doing that correctly then we need to go the extra mile to make sure that is happening that's the only way because when people start to grow economically then the, um you, you start to see that sort of political weight because when it's like no one is coming to save you i have to depend on you know it's like stockholm syndrome it's like no one's coming to save me so i'm just stuck having to depend on this government they may be terrible but i have to just keep relying on them so mm. that that for me would be a way to kind of help people directly do do, do you not think that the aid uh well, this is my opinion um and I've, I've seen political commentators make this also uh, their opinion that the political aid given to uh, these countries and government is more of a pawn to keep them in power um it's, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily for <laughs> this aid isn't necessarily for people to you know you know to help them out as you said why don't they give them to the people but that might not be the intention the intention might be actually to give it to these uh, rulers that are unfair and dictators etc Absolutely. And I think we need to call that out more. Yeah, please go. Yeah, I was going to be like, yeah, to an extent. So when you said China, I'm like, to be honest, most of the time, the money, because China gives Nigeria money. And obviously, China would like to have something like, oh, let's be honest, every country has a selfish agenda at the base. They want their economy to flourish. And if it means having certain power over other countries, they might as well do it. And then the government that's taking China's money, they isn't need to flex to um, have fun while the rest of Nigeria is suffering. But to you answered your question, Steve, I think, yes, that is one aspect of it. But I think Nigerians as a whole, we need to step up. The reason why, and I've had this discussion with so many people, the reason why we are where we are, and the government does this, so my, I, this is why I believe their tactic is to keep the people poor. So when it comes to election, 50 pounds is enough to, 50 pounds, 10 pounds is enough to bribe someone to vote for you. So when it comes to election period, you're, you don't need to do much in terms of money, just give, even, for example, during the NSAS period, so they, people paid hoodlums as low as two pounds, if I'm doing a correction, the, trans, um, the exchange correctly, as low as two pounds to go and attack protesters. So people were paid to come and scatter the protest. So as Nigeria as a whole, some of us that are doing well financially and are aware and educated and knowledgeable about politics, we need to take it into our hands. Regardless, we can't be selfish because at the end of the day, the majority of us that are going to vote are the ones that don't know what they're doing. So we need to go into the smaller communities and let's say I take one sec, let's say me and my team, specific people go to a section, 
help them financially to like maybe train them to do certain things, help them establish business, educate them on their rights and give them some sort of financial liberation for themselves and educate, education for their kids and so that they are not solely dependent on the government. So when the government comes and starts telling them this sweet nothings, they know better. Because at the end of the day, like Denola said, the number of people who cannot afford basic things and the number of people who don't know a lot about politics outnumber the number of us who do. So all these NSAs, NSAs, which most of us luckily were enlightened, yes, that is great, but majority of us don't know what's going on and those are the people that they hired to at the end of the day the people that came the hoodlums that came to scatter the protests were also part of us they are still nigerian youth they are still nigerian citizens so to show the gap we need to reach out to those people and sort of like close the gap between us a bit and drag them along with the fire that we have within us so that the government has little power to come and manipulate the system in a certain way. That's just one thing I think, because at some point, yes, international people can help us, but at some point we need to try and help ourselves as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important for us to admit that, you know, we can, we can always look outwards, but at the end of the day, we need to take responsibility, no matter how unfair it is. It's the only way to ensure change is to, is to force the change. Now, I agree with you where you say, you know, like on entrepreneurship, um, taking the money into their own hands, that is key. But it, it's all nice saying that, but, you know, it's not easy to be an entrepreneur and it's not something that can be, you know, just applied quickly. Do you think, again, it sort of comes back to the, the question of the diaspora, like what is the responsibility of people who live in the diaspora, uh, you know, British citizens who obviously have Nigerian uh, heritage? Do you think they have a responsibility to try and start businesses, to try to... Uh, bring something back uh, as little as they can or as much as they can um i don't know if i would say that not in reality yeah so i i say this i am who i am despite nigeria not because of nigeria because i don't think nigeria actually offered anything to me i love my country don't get me wrong but to be realistic a lot of people leave Nigeria to, for a better life. I start, my parents struggled to send me outside Nigeria because the educational system in Nigeria is broken. So I can't really say they have the responsibility to, like, they are, because you're Nigerian, you're, you're supposed to do certain things. But it would be nice and it would be lovely if they sort of, we just still saw ourselves, regardless of where you are, you're still Nigerian. And this is what I would say. I could decide to leave Nigeria and go outside the country but regardless my children will still be Nigerian no matter how many passports I have I will still be Nigerian so yes they could come and well send money start businesses the government will make it hard let's be honest with ourselves they make it hard for anybody to flourish in this country they could do that they could also um I think they just generally speaking they just need to remember where they came from and stay involved and like this whole protest period it was so beautiful to see all of us stand up wherever we were even in countries where <laughs> i didn't know nigerians were you'd still see them um stand up so yes they could do that but i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say it's their obligation to if that makes sense if i could just jump in i would say um you know being Nigerian or British Nigerian and I'm sure it's similar to being American Nigerian or Canadian Nigerian or whatever you're literally in a country where you're facing racism every day and then your home country if you go there someone could just you know kidnap you or shoot you or something just because you know even as soon as you get to the airport they want to start asking you even as young as I am like give me this amount where's my Christmas you know money and you know like the corruption is right from the airport before you even leave yeah. In fact, someone even stole like like my Nando's card like in the airport in Lagos, like no way. like my, just a Nando's card. And it just <laughs> that's so like, ridiculous. That, that, is, that is so ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what they thought it was like, and you, you know, like you can't even be mad because it's like it's not your fault. It's actually the system, and you know, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and has a child and thinks that child is going to be someone that steals a Nando a Nando's card when they don't even know what it is. You know, it's, 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 it's the environment that makes you this way and it's sad and it's all our responsibilities to think about because this is a world, and not just Nigerians, this is a world that was created by human beings 
whatever situation we're seeing in the world, whether it has to do with climate change, whether it has to do with gender inequality, um, homicide, whatever it is, is something that a human being, as, a, as humanity, we created. And it's, and it's something that we should all keep thinking about a collective solution to, even if it's in a small way. But having said that, back to what I said at the beginning, when you're a Nigerian person, in like here in the UK, like okay, a few months ago, we did Black Lives Matter. This now, like, there's so many, there's so many issues that you're facing, and I think, of course, you can't. It's not the you know pain Olympics, but sometimes when you speak to like your family back home, because the people have just seen UK or whatever as a promised land, they think everyone here is enjoying. There are many people here who are cleaning, you know. I'm sure like we all have, we, know, we all know that story. Like my, my mom here, when we first moved here, there was times we didn't even know we were going to sleep that night, just yeah. in Luton, you know, just here. So, but I think of course, when you're in an extreme situation, you might just think, oh, those abroad, they should be doing more. You know, they should do this. And mm-hmm. it's like, not everyone has the means and you don't know what people are facing in whatever corner of the world. We, we hear what happens to Nigerians in Arab countries where, mm-hmm. you know, the race, like when, when they, they go there to be, you know, domestic workers and things like that so i think it's we just terrible, need to like be, yeah. be be careful about sometimes the kind of expectations and i i completely get it it's like if you're okay so when i was still um a child in nigeria my mom moved to the uk first before we went and i remember even as a child i was you know like 10 and i was just thinking like you know i'm just here in this country my mom is enjoying it in the uk right now you know <laughs> and then when i eventually moved to the uk and she was telling me how she was hustling before we came so that, you know, she had like so many jobs. She, you know, she didn't have anywhere to, to, to stay. And then I realized like, that's the mentality. So sometimes when I speak to some of my cousins, you can just tell that there's just, there's, I think there's just needs to, to be an understanding both ways that the grass is not always greener on the other side. You know, I even had one of my uncles who I found out recently, he was planning to, he saved up and was planning to make that horrible trip to Libya, trying to get to UK, you know, trying, <laughs> trying to, you yeah. know, he probably yeah. would have been lost somewhere in the Mediterranean. That's the level of how people are seeing UK and all this diaspora is like, oh, you have power, you can do this, you can do that. Sure, some people do. And it's great when we hear the success stories, but we don't always hear the other stories of people that come and face the harshest realities. So we just need to be always careful. And I think, you know, all we can do, and again, everybody should prioritize their own mental health, do what you can. Like I have friends who were posting every day, NSARS who joined me, you know, in like my protest. And I had friends who were like, you know what, I can't do it. I don't have the, men- the mental strength. We're in a pandemic. I've just been furloughed. Mm. You know, so many things are happening. I, don't, I just don't have it within me to be posting NSARS 24 seven. And I think yeah. nobody should make anyone feel bad for whatever their choices are. Yeah, I do really like the um, suggestion that Ife said about going into smaller communities and trying to, you know, teach them about their rights and, you know, it, it, where where needed, do uh, what the government does and say, okay, here's here's a little bit of money here. Don't rely on the government uh, to give you money to go and do A, B or C. You know, financial independence is very important, I guess. Uh, but as you said, if you're somebody in the uh, diaspora, the least you, I mean, the least or the most, depending on however you look at it, the least you can do is... Uh, raise awareness but how how would you i mean just for our listeners let's say you're somebody who isn't nigerian but you want to you know raise awareness for this issue what would you expect from non-nigerians in a way to help what's going on in nigeria so if, if like somebody like myself um, i found out about nsars on on twitter i didn't know what sars was before this like a month before this i had no clue what was going on uh, now i'm a little bit more clued up on it um what would somebody like myself uh, what should we do to help try to raise more awareness going forward? Um, I do believe a lot in sort of, you know, showing solidarity publicly, especially right now when um, a lot of us, we're literally in lockdown. And again, those good to still, you know, protest and stuff like, you know, there's a whole pandemic out there, like you could literally you know, catch COVID. So um, virtual protesting and virtual spreading of awareness is so important. And I say this because, um, same thing, you know, when I speak to like my friends from in Pakistan or India or, um, you know, parts of Southeast Asia, you know, different countries in Africa. And there's something happening. Even my friend in Nicaragua was telling me yesterday about the sort of floods that are happening. There. So it's like there's so much tragedy happening in the world. And I know, especially if you're, you know, someone that, you know, cares about these things, you know, you feel the pain so strongly for everywhere. You know, the world is quite frankly bleeding. Even if we look here in the UK, I think it was two days ago or three years ago that the um, report on black people was published at 1am and like yeah that was very cheeky and then literally and you know there's so many things it's like 
I, I wish I could sit there and write essays and, you know, I, I wish I could, I, I want to be everywhere at the same time. I want to, you know, speak about this issue. I want to show solidarity with my friends in different parts of the world going through so many things, but take it a step at a time. Now you've heard about this. Now you've spoken to some of, of us. You may, you, you might want to read more about it. If there's anything practically you, you, you can do, like there's so many sort of, um, GoFundMe's for like different people. There's so many, uh, what's it, um, petitions. And these things might be small things, but these small gestures, like as they say, small drops make a big ocean. Like I couldn't go to Nigeria to do nothing. But what the small things I could do was, you know, signing things I could do, giving to the fe um, the feminist coalition, even though they then blocked their their bank account. You know, just mm. the small things that you see that you, you you can do. And the best ways to find out is just by carrying speaking to people. Like now they've blocked that account like i can share more links of like new accounts that you can still give even if you like your five pound to and it's not going to change the whole world but it's contributing to something that's making a change yeah, yeah that's that's quite good advice i guess um maybe to try uh move towards a wrapping up phase and look on the happier side like what would a ideal nigeria be like for you what what if you could achieve anything in the next five years what would it be I think, okay, for me, being here, I think I'd like to see what I saw during the two weeks of the physical protest. So I say physical protest because we're still protesting virtually because they're going to show on the streets. Um, but I think just a brotherly, sisterly vibe where we just look after each other. So when I went to the protest, they give you whistles. So if any, <laughs> it sounds funny, but if any girl, they give whistles to girls, if any guy at touches you inappropriately you blow the whistle people come get you out of there where nobody is trying to exploit everyone we're just they're looking at we raised millions of naira in few days so would send people to the hospital there were food like there were food there there were safe security to protect ourselves so it's just we basically created a government for ourselves right so where there was accountability for how much money was raised how much money was spent where the money went to how many people were in the hospital rapid response i've never seen that in my, my life the quickness in which the health and people came to take care of people when hoodlums came to try and scatter the protest we beat them up we still send them to the hospital and give them food because they are were, were fighting for ourselves we're not so at that period where there was no um religious differences there was no um ethnical differences no gender differences um, we're just wanting all of us just here fighting and working for a better nigeria without anything no corruption no people drop their phones they'll take a picture on twitter twitter was our twitter was our, our home base post the picture like oh if you need your phone somebody even credited the phone called the person and dropped the phone with the person and this is the things that you don't I would, I would never have expected was what I saw in those few days. So I would like my Nigeria to be one where everyone is united, doing their hustle, helping each other, and not trying to exploit anyone, not trying to um, <laughs> injure anyone or harm anyone in any case, just identifying ourselves that fundamentally first when Nigerians, then you're whatever tribe you are, or whatever religion you are. But first, you're Nigerian, first and foremost. I think for me, it's 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 two things. Um, first of all, um, you, you know, I'm going to give you the classic de development answer, which is I just think education is the key. I think when you have a, a huge amount of population, a huge amount of the populace that aren't that don't have a good education, then it's a ticking time bomb. Um, as I said, there were counter protests, and you know, there's for so many reasons. But again, it comes down to the fact that isn't a universal high quality education in Nigeria, um, especially I would say over the next five years, the government really needs to scale up specifically girls' education, um, in especially in the northern regions. I think that's one of the biggest, most pressing issues um, in Nigeria. And like, I'm just going to so many like research papers about it, but I just won't. But let me just say that girls' education in Nigeria, I think, is fundamental. Secondly, I think um, the momentum that we started about of, of holding politicians accountable needs to continue online. So people might think it didn't really make a difference. You know, even I feel a bit deflated because for one sweet hot second, I thought maybe Bahari might actually step down, bruv. Anyway. <laughs> 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 no, I didn't the last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you know, we can all dream, you know, at that time, you know, the protests were hot and I was like, we're really going to do something. And then, you know, everything, they just, they just used it somehow, somehow everything just got scandalized. Yeah. But let's just say this, <laughs> um, the way, like, for example, there's one actor, he's like a famous actor called Desmond Elliott. Yeah. He was like somebody who I would say was among the youth. I know Desmond idiot. <laughs> like he was among the youth. Like he was the one always coming out talking about change. You know, when someone famous comes out like Kanye West or some whatever. Oh, and wow. then he got elected in. He got elected in and he was meant to be the change guy. And then he was part of those who were who went there like, like the old fossils saying, Oh, we should censor the internet because people were saying this, you know, like, and just to see that change, you know, like what we're saying about how, you know, we're saying young people are the way, but some people that, that are young, they'll go there and they just drink the hot sauce and they don't know what's happening again. So mm. that's the thing. The, but then one thing I liked was normally we'll see those things, people will huff and puff and be like, mm, mm, and then it ends. But the way people dragged him to the point that he was even crying on TV, doing one stupid explanation. Yeah, it's still <laughs> there. But the fact that now, I think even even if they're going to try and hide it a bit more, mm. at least now, I think when Somolu or any um, any of these people try to do something mad or try to do something silly, even before they may have just done it without any fear but now they even have that little bit of fear and that's what we need to carry on doing like even no matter how small and useless it seems like and helpless we, we feel when we see bad things happen that's the thing you must call it out every time you know like like how in america like some things like some mad things happen but it's like trump does so much that it gets to a point that you can't call out everything yeah and then it's now made it like some bad things have just been let just Normalized. let go under the rug yeah but then if like obama had done even a tenth of some of these things it would have been front page news but it gets to a point that you can't have all this in the front page news right because there's just so many bad things yeah. it's like that so basically what we need to do is not be tired so when they come out again and do another rubbish we need to still just keep shouting about it keep shouting about it it will get to a point when if you're doing a wrong step and someone keeps saying no 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 after a while you'll be like okay let, let me at least try to you know yeah. co mm. correct a bit just to make the next three years a bit more bearable. Let mm -hmm. them know that people are looking at them. We saw them remove the CCTV. We saw them opening fire. Let's not stop, let's not stop talking about it. Like, yeah, it was weeks ago. Even when it's 10 years time, let's still talk about it like it was yesterday. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. We have to keep bringing these things up. Same thing when we have, you know, Black History Month, Remembrance Day, because we're praying those things won't happen again. But when you're able to sweep something under a rug, and Nigeria is so good at that. Like the way they, like I had to, only when I moved to the UK, I found out about the Biafran War, even though it happened in my mom's lifetime. Like they don't teach, they didn't teach it to me in my history lessons in Nigeria. Like pe people try to sw sweep things under the rug in terms of history, in terms of everything. The mm -hmm. government would love that everyone just shuts up now, but that's why we cannot. We have to tell children about it, tell everybody this is what's happening. So everyone has their mind and their eyes open. Hmm. and that's it <laughs> accountability yeah. Yeah. yeah i think i like the overarching uh message of you know more solidarity more accountability and you know just holding people to account for their actions i think that's a wonderful message and i really enjoyed that analogy um with the trump and obama thing because <laughs> uh, yeah as you said if obama done one of those things it would probably be trump that put him onto the front page of the news but now we see the overall consciousness of the american people has changed and they let a lot more go under the rug so accountability is very important um just just okay, finally if any other president refused to step down after losing it would have been but now it's like everyone's even just tired like just just let just just let him just do his thing can you like that's the thing if the you worst thing is people knew he would, he would do that yeah, but it's like, it's like, you know, like when you feel helpless and again, it just goes to show because he's just been taken, taken, taken. So when he does like one big thing, it's like if a person is like, you know, it's like that thing about the, the frog in like boiling water. Boiling water. Yes. It will, like, yeah, like once it goes hotter, 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 it just stays there until it will just, it will, venge, it will just die when it gets to the point. But if you put it in boiling water immediately, it would jump out, right? But because we've just allowed it now, it gets mm. to a point that even if someone does something that bad, it's like, oh, it's not even that bad. You know, mm. we become jaded. If you don't stand for something, as I said, you fall for that's, it. That's like, very well explained, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so many, there's so many ridiculous things that the government has done that um, we let pass. And thinking about it, because you're just like, how did we let, remember, Dinola, I'm not sure if you heard this, when they said a snake swallowed millions <laughs> of naira. Like, that was so funny. Like, yeah. I was in university. I was walking mm. around with um, Nimi, and I was just like, we just, I just, I just, I just, 
I'm not gonna lie. I actually just covered my face in shame because I'm like, what the hell? Are you guys? <laughs> you forgotten that, when that guy fainted? When they asked him, what did you do? That's what did you do? The money he fainted. Uh-huh. <laughs> you then, know what? I, I thought that was a joke. No, I didn't. I no. couldn't believe it was real. And then few politicians watch, like, have done that. They're just like. Oh my so god, that is so funny. Nah, I need to look that up. That is so funny. <laughs> and even in, when they're having the House of Assembly meetings, I remember in secondary school, you'd see all of them, like the caliber of people that are there, they, they start throwing chairs at each other. And these are the people we elected to govern us. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we've taken a lot of. Do you remember when Hinambu had like a whole bus of like millions of naira and he was just driving it around? Like, it's just, it's like the high of like, you guys. <laughs> No, because it's I can't like I can't begin to tell you the amount of and we just and God forgive me, our parents' generation did not help the situation because they even to even while because while we're here doing the protests and would hear people like older generation saying you people are no 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 just sit down in your houses i'm like it's because you sat down in your house that we are fighting this fight we're not going to bring my children into nigeria where because i have money they shoot them because they think they're an unbroba or they're they're yeah well yeah boys um online fraudsters and stuff like that so it's you said it well like we've taken a lot of ridiculous stuff that is why we are where we are because they they've gotten used to getting away with their stupidity and their lack of accountability that they feel that they have the ultimate power so now that we are awake and now that there's fire with us we need to make sure we are basically making their seats hot so that they cannot relax and public embarrassment will just any small thing will make noise don't worry we're here for you we have your time i mean uh (laughs) The the guy pretending to pass out. I had seen. I think I've seen that video. But the snake one. I thought that was a joke. I didn't realize that, that was oh, something that actually happened. And that's were, uh, it sounds like a sitcom. Were, exactly. Two different two, occasions. <laughs> two different. One was a snake. The other one, I'm not sure if it was a monkey. And it was not even like a swallow ten grand, millions of naira. And then there was another one that building burnt on fire and there was money inside. Why is that? <laughs> Uh, that is, uh, this, this is this is how yeah, they get away the with problem. it though that's <laughs> that's how they get away with it but the animal one was ridiculous that is ridiculous honestly <laughs> the whole snake thing is very ridiculous but uh, okay so you know what just to completely like actually to wrap it up is there anything you maybe want to shout out like any organizations or anything that you just want to give a shout out to to say you know people should follow or donate to or you know support generally speaking is there anything that you have in mind like the feminist coalition was doing really well but then the thing is right now i don't know if you guys have seen but the government are basically blocking so many people's accounts so loads of like the lawyers that were trying to help bail out people protesters and people that were trying to so almost all the channels that people were donating to um the government have like blocked their accounts put them on no fly and just that kind of like so it's it's like as much as we want to help sometimes when um like a specific organization or individuals get in too much in their opinion too much funding or too much help they just kind of like demonize them so it's actually so difficult right now to know what to do without actually putting people in danger like there was only some of the people who were live on instagram showing the the, the people who actually were being killed some of them like are going through so many things now just for speaking out so that's why it's difficult to pinpoint who should we support because it's like you're putting them in danger if you do that but um i would say just to carry on kind of like you know finding out more information um and like trying to like Though it's, it may not seem like a huge deal, but I'm still sort of signing petitions and trying to like write letters to like people mm-hmm. in power and just trying to like, it, it may be just very tiny, but that's just my little thing of like, I can't let this die. But at the same time, I know trying to donate right now to an organization when they said don't donate is like kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> may not be the, the, the right thing. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, same here, but I think just keeping an eye out on the news because the news organizations are probably even though they are be, they are being sued uh, by the way for publishing the news because they said oh, it's wow. fake news <laughs> but that's but like they are the only people that i think would be safe to shout out because they are an organization as opposed to shouting out certain individuals yeah. they are suing mm. certain individuals as well so i would say like channels tv arise tv those two in particular arise being like my go to place like every morning just sit down and watch whatever they've posted and so that's all I'll just say. Just keep keep aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right now, there, there are no donations going on. Everybody is just trying to, because like I said, they're witch hunting at this point. So 
everyone's yeah. trying to be safe so yeah there's i'll just keep you guys in in the loop if anything comes up but right now just keep your ears on the ground okay well uh, thank you guys for coming on that was very enlightening especially for me i didn't know much about the situation prior but i think you've given me a lot to think about so um, i really do appreciate it so thank you both for coming on and uh yeah we'll just i'll end the recording there uh, steve why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand you that was bloody brilliant i want to give a special thank you to all your listeners that have tuned in week by week and supported us throughout and a very 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 special thank you to the band thieves of virtue which provided us with our new introduction check them out on youtube guys we will put the link in the description box they're great that was bloody brilliant